0: You know, it's been a while since I've spoken here. Eh? I feel like the guest speaker this morning. But you know what? Phil said to me today, how do you feel about that? I said, fantastic. Why do I feel fantastic? Because to see other people rise up, couples coming to the, to the podium, sharing, you raise people up to do things. My, can't, my voice cannot be the only voice you hear. You have a voice. So if I'm the only speaker, that's not good for you. That's not good for me. So other speakers being trained to come and speak, you know, they're on a journey. Yeah. When I think of me, think what I sounded like when I first started speaking, Lord, Lord, that's when you know God calls. God called me before you started calling me. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yes. So it's good to see these young people, uh, older people minister because we need competent ministers that's why we train people to do these things and not just preach but to communicate in every aspect of life whether in work wherever you work wherever you are learn to communicate because people are talking all around you and you need to be in there close to them so that you can speak and make sense of what they don't understand okay because there's a lot of questions out there people are asking And you and I carry answers. And if you've never shared your faith and you're you're a Christian that's 20, 30 years old, you've got to ask yourself, what have I been doing? That's not a good place to be. So this morning I want to talk to you about still pursuing. We're in pursuing the lover. I won't give up. I won't give in. I won't let go until we've pursued. I said I won't let go. I won't give in. And I won't give up until we bring the lover back. I'll I'll speak to myself and see where you... You can join, get on the bus at any point this this morning. But know this, when I get up to speak, I am 100% convinced about what I'm speaking is right. There's no point in me getting up here and not believing what I say. Yes? There's no point. And uh, so I'm making sure that this house, my life our lives together we pursue god we don't give up we don't give in we don't let go yes. yeah there's only one way to follow god don't give up don't give in don't let go yes. and uh, so in matthew 23 verse 27 we're going to start with this scripture and you might think it's a little bit strange woe to you teachers of the law matthew 23 verse 27 you know what I learned, when you speak in Europe and you ask people to turn to their Bibles, the only thing that's right is the chapter. When you ask them to go to verse 23 in their Bible, it could be verse 27, because the way language falls and translations, sometimes they're going to verse 20, 23 and it doesn't say what you're reading, but further down in their Bible, it finally does. So I had to keep qualifying it, saying, look, in my Bible, it says this verse, it might be... It's in that chapter, you find it, because I don't know what verse, because there's so many different nations there. So uh, if you're thinking, where's, that, where's he been? We've been to Europe. We are in Bulgaria last week with our youth, in our International Youth Congress, and it was a ball. We'll show you a video, hopefully we'll put a video together and show you what went on, and uh, because it was significant. It really was significant this year. More than all the other years, this year was a, was a home run in every area, and uh, we were on national TV, I've got a face for national TV, it's true, not only Phil's got a face for radio, I've got one for TV, and Jacob, Jacob was a star, he knew that we are on TV, and you know when someone walks across the camera and they do that, they keep looking for the camera, you can just see Jacob's face keep wandering across his camera, and you think, oh there's that boy again, and all of a sudden he's picking a piece of paper up, and he looks back, and he knows he's on TV, that boy's, that God's preparing him for TV, TV ministry, it's quite funny. It's quite funny. Yeah, TV Jake. <laughs> Not TV Jakes, TV Jakes. Oh, you've got to get that one. <laughs> nice one, Phil. That's quick. I've taught you well. Okay, back to the Bible. Matthew 23, verse 27 in my Bible. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. And everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Can you imagine someone telling you this? They're reading your data and they're telling you what they're like. Can you imagine that? And he's just met them and he's talking to them and he starts reading their inside. You're like, he says. In other words, when someone says you're like, they're making a comparison. You're not what you portray on this side, but you're like this. And Jesus says that, the, that they looked, you know, they're hypocrites, they're liars, they're unwashed, they're like, uh, what was it he says about the bones? Um, you're inside, of full, you're dead, dead of, um, full of dead men's bones. Can you imagine someone describing you like that, in that vein? Jesus knew, or Jesus could just by looking at you, could describe you to a T. That's quite awesome. To look at somebody and just read them. Have you ever, have you ever come across when you, you just look at a person and you think, I've seen you so many times before. Not physically. You're not seen, you're not, you haven't got a doppelganger, in other words, a spitting image of you, but you've seen their personality before. As a parent, you say to your children, don't hang around them. Why? Because I know what they're like. There's something about people that you can read and see when you've not, you don't even have to speak to some people. Now, we've got to be very careful with that because we can judge and we can get it wrong. But Jesus didn't judge. Jesus saw. He knew what this crowd was like. Yeah? Just by observing them. You know, people carry a certain posture on them. They do. Yeah. How many times have you heard, you've seen somebody say, what's wrong with you? What do you mean, what's wrong with me? You're locked down. Yeah? yeah. And you're like, I'm all right, I'm all right, but you know internally they're not all right. Yeah. But you, why? Because the external them reveal the internal them. Yeah. You can't hide what's obvious to others. <laughs> True? And if you, uh, in the intelligence services, when they come to an interview uh, and interrogate people, They know body posture, eye reflections, all kinds, the palms, you know, if you've seen enough of these programs on TV now to know if they, if they touch the palms or they, they look up, you know, they know certain things, that's an, in, that's an indictment of something internally is going on or they're lying. They just know. They're clever. And when Jesus looks at us, Jesus knows the true you. You cannot lie. When you stand before your father, your father knows his children. He knows what condition you're in. He knows what posture you take. He knows the sound of your voice. He knows the tone of your voice. He knows the way, you know, there's nothing worse when a child comes up to the parent and they've got that, that swagger. And and the father and mother say, don't swagger at me. Don't drop those eyes at me, girl. Or don't lift those eyes up to the heavens. You know that, you know, when kids do that. There's something about us that we, we learn to read one another. God only has to look at once. God only has to look at you once to fully understand you. Just once. It's amazing. He knows what you need, what you lack. He knows what you need and what you lack just by one glance. He knows the problem. But how possible... Do you really think it is to know God like that? How possible do you think it is to know God like, like he knows you? I think it's very possible because God wants us to know him. And he wants us to know him intimately. And now, the thing is about God, what I love about God, God is not moody. See, so getting to know you and getting to know me, we've got to get past the barriers of your, emotional, your emotions, because we all have them, or your cynicism, or your, uh, call it arrogance, or my arrogance, when I say yours, I mean ours, uh, when we get to know people, we've got to form chemistry, we've got to go through all these psychological, physiological, emotional barriers just to get to know you, and that could change tomorrow, it could change, getting to know you is hard work, It's true. Because there are so many variables. I'm good today, I'm not so great today. Leave me alone tomorrow, but on Friday I'll be okay. And I'll be okay, you know, email me and I'll let you know. So there's this, there's this I don't know, this instability of humanity that makes us sometimes lovable, but are intolerable. It's true. And we're strange creatures, but God loves us so. And he created us. He didn't create you to be the way you are. He created you who you are. Let me say that again. He He didn't create you to be who you are now. He's created you to be like him. That's profound. Because many of us think who we've become is acceptable. And that's not true. But the only, the only model he wants is for you to look like him. So if he wants you to look like him, it's possible for you to know him like that. Think about it. If God says, I want you to have relation with me, but there's a part of me I'm never going to release to you. So many, so many times in human relationships, there's a part we hold back from each other and from others. True? But God doesn't hold anything of himself back. He reveals who he is and he gives us he gives us access to everything. Now, it's up to you to pursue him. It's up to you. He gives you that freedom. You can have as much of God or as little of God as you decide you want. Yeah? But it all must start somewhere. Our pursuit of God, getting to know God, must start somewhere. So let me show you or let me give you a scripture that when... Uh, oh, let me just... Let's turn to it and I'll talk about it. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5, in our Bible. Now we're moving to our Bible, because we're in England. And he says this, under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she was in labor, gave you birth. There she was in labor, gave you birth. Song of Solomon, verse 5 there, she who was in labor gave you birth. When we were in our last Building the Spirit evening, we had a couple of months ago on a Sunday night, which is our prayer and worship night, we went to pray about our nation. And that was the way the evening was, in my mind, was going to go. And then I opened up a scripture and God uh, instructed me to go to Song Solomon. Do you remember this? And God began to draw his attention towards me, and as he did this, he drew my attention to him. Let me say that again. God drew my attention, God drew his attention to me so that my attention would draw to him. Does that make sense? And as his attention and my attention began to connect. He took me to this verse, and this is the verse he began to speak to me. Under the apple tree, I roused you. There, your mother conceived you. There, she who was in labour gave you birth. And I, this verse, at that moment in time when God revealed this to me, it emotionally captured me. And if you remember, if you were in the evening, if you were there that evening, I struggled to keep my emotions together because. What I didn't understand, it wasn't about understanding, it captured me. The scripture read me. I didn't read the scripture, the scripture read me. And it got me, but I didn't get the understanding for the scripture like I have now. But it captured me. And in the capturing, you never forget. When you've been captured, God grabbed hold of my heart. He says, son, we will talk about this in the coming days. But I didn't have the understanding, but what I did understand is that he captured me. So sometimes, God pulls you in close, and you think, by him pulling you in close, he's going to tell you everything at that moment. No. Because there's such a thing in our relationship with one another and with God, and it's called anticipation. Anticipation. There's something about my romance with my wife and in my romance with God that there is a sense of anticipation. What will he say to me today? What will he do if I trust him? How far can he go with me? So there's this anticipation. So when God pulled me close, it's like, son, I'm just letting you know that I've got you now. I pulled you close. You're aware of it. I'm aware of it. But we will dialogue on this verse. Yes? Yes? Very often God does that to us because he wants you to seek him out. But we want all the answers up front. But no, there's something about hanging around him a bit longer to get the answers. True? So this is what I discovered, that under the, under the apple tree, under the apple tree, is the place of God's choosing. God chooses a place for you and I to intimately connect. Connect. You and I think the only place God connects is in church. How wrong you are. You know, very often, you can worship in church and never connect with God. Why? Because your heart and your mind are not in that place. You're still thinking about what's happened last week. We can connect with God anywhere, anytime, place. It would be beneficial for us all to connect together in church. Because what goes on in church should empower you for what goes on in your personal life. But I must encounter God seven days a week. It'd be no good if I was married to Carol, my wife, and I only wanted to get involved and and connect with her on a Sunday. She'd say, this relationship is going nowhere. We don't spend enough time together. I hardly know you. Right? So if it doesn't work in the natural, why do you and I think it would work on a Sunday? Then we know people come to church for multiple reasons. Some people to appease their religious conscience. Others come because they're friends. Others come because the church they go to might have great social, they might have a great cafe, da-da-da-da-da-da. The reasons are multiple. The reasons are multiple. But the apple tree is the place of God's choosing, a place in which he chooses to gain your attention. And the place in which... For you and him to mutually benefit from the affection. I, I benefit from the affection from my wife. I benefit from the affection of my family. I benefit from the affection that you give me. I do. All of us need affection. Hello? All of us need affection. There isn't one person who does not need affection. Affection. Now, we may close down, shut down emotionally, but somewhere in our life, we need it. We need it. We need it when we're born. We need it as we're growing up. We need it as we get older. We need affection. It's important to us. So he uses the word in here, roused. To rouse means to wake someone up. Yeah? To make them more active or excited. Is there anybody who needs waking up? And the fact that you're, all, you're not giving me any feedback tells me, uh, yeah, you've answered it. You know, not in, in they're not answering, you've answered. God, first of all, comes and roused. God has to come first to wake us up. God came that Sunday night to me. God came to me and arrested me. He got my attention Can you see this? God has to come. God has to come and initiate this pursuit. God has to do this. When God does something, there's longevity in it. When you do something and I do something, the fuel is normally our, our passion or our emotions. Once the emotions change... The intensity pulls back. Yes? That's why young people have passion all day long. But they don't have wisdom. We have the wisdom, but we don't always have the passion and the energy. It's true. But with God, he's got all that. And God can supply what we lack. I'm so aware that God has to do a lot of things. But in me understanding God has to do a lot of things, it does not mean I don't have to do anything. I'm aware what I have to do, but I'm also aware that sovereignty, I I serve a sovereign God, and sovereignty has to override humanity at times. I'm so aware that more and more, the older I'm becoming, the more I realize divinity and sovereignty have to be involved in my life, or my relationship is just a work of the flesh. You know, I don't know about you, but these days I don't feel good. And, I know you might not like to hear this, but these days I don't feel good about others. And you know when I say the others, I'm looking at... And you know the others. And you know, I, I also fall into that bracket with you. So let's be honest with ourselves. We all feel the same about one another from time to time. I am not an angel, but I am a saint. So are you. So the question means that if God... Let's just re- remind ourselves what that word means again. To wake someone up or to make them more active or excited. I need waking up and need to feel more excited in my relationship with God. Yes. I want to be excited. I want to be stirred. I want to be awoke. There's areas in my life that need waking up. True? And and, and you, you're you the same because we're, hum- we're human beings. So the question, therefore, we must ask ourselves Am I capable of being woken up? Am I capable of being woken up? What do you mean? Am I capable of being woken up from my apathy? From my slumber? From my own self? Am I capable? Are you capable of being woken up? And do I really want to be woken up? do I really want to be woken up or am I going to sit there in my Christian life like Sleeping Beauty waiting for the right kiss to come and because the right kiss doesn't come it's another excuse to lie there for another hundred years. He's already kissed us. He's already kissed us. The day he saved us he kissed us and brought us to life. And he put what he put his breath and his life into you, so you've already got his life. So we need to stop, quit sitting there waiting for this wonderful kiss to awaken us. But we do need awakening in our soul. Yes, this part of my life and your life that I need to be brutally honest. God, you've got to wake me up. And he said, the fact that I'm conscious about it is one thing. Yeah. I may not have the impetus, the desire, the all, the, um, the wherewithal to get there. That's why I pray regular David's prayer. Creating me, sustain me, pour into me. Because I realize Tony's not great. And you realize Tony's not great. Well, you should do. So the word roused is different from the word arouse. Yes? So many Christians want to be aroused. Do you know what aroused means? Though this is a different word from aroused, like I've just said, it means to cause, cause someone to have a particular feeling. Make me feel good, Chris. Stroke me. Stroke my ego. Say nice things to me. By the time I leave here, I want to feel loved. Then get a dog. By a dog, come on, wake up, you are loved, but I want to feel loved, I don't know what that means to feel loved, I don't know really, I don't know what you mean by that, and there's so many interpretations of what that can mean, I am loved, and the relationships that I'm involved, do we need to feel accepted, yes, but I don't know what that means to feel loved, I really—I'm not being flippant here. I really don't know what it means at times because there's so many interpretations to that. And if I think you mean this, you could mean that. So I can't move towards you with that because I may approach you from the wrong angle. Yeah. We're not about feelings, though. Feelings—we all know feelings can be the greatest deception. Yes. But feelings are part of who we are. But feelings have to be managed. They have to be managed. They have to be put in context. You know, the fact that I might think, you know, us Christians, we hug one another. But you know, if I go on the street and greet everyone the same way you greet me or I greet you, I'm going to be in trouble. I know I can't hug and shouldn't hug everybody inside the church as well, uh, outside, why? It's up to me to discern. Yes. It's up to me to discern. Yeah. How I hug. Some guys just want to be, I want to hug ya. <laughs> you. You've got to be wise, guys, how you hug. If you're going to hug, if you're going to hug, be wise. How you hug. Ladies, same with the fellas. Be wise how you portray yourself to somebody else. I'm not saying stop hugging. I'm saying be wise. Yeah? If he comes at you with his tongue out, run. <laughs> he's not after a hug, he's after a snog. Right? Just be careful. So, though arouse is different from rouse because there's a feeling involved, the other to rouse is to wake someone up. Arouse is to make me feel nice. That's charismania. So he says in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 7, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the the does of the field, his poetic language, do not arouse or waken love until it so desires. In other words, there's a right time to waken someone up and rouse someone. And love should be the primary motive. Not sexuality, not self-imposement, uh, because uh, I want something out of it. When God wakes us up, it's because he wants to bring you to where he is. Yeah. Yeah. Right? When someone arouses you, it's to make you feel nice. Well, God never strokes you. God always speaks to you like it is, like he always intended it. God, when God speaks, God's not got Im- your emotions in his mind. Why? Because God speaks, because he knows what he says is good for you and right for you. Yes? You and I think, how can I dress this up? How can I tell him is a dipstick? Without hurting his feelings. God just tells me. And he has such a way of telling me that I never walk away from God saying, you abuse me. You really hurt me when you said that, Lord. How Has anyone ever had that feeling where God spoke to them like that and you say, God, you hurt me and you abuse me. No, because he's a father. He knows how to speak to us. But we've been hurt by others who told us they loved us, but their actions was different. So we see, don't wake something up until it's the right time and it's with the right motive. God is waking us up for the right time for the right reason. And God doesn't stir us. Until he knows it's the right time. And he's committed to seeing this thing right through. Yeah. And this is what God's doing with us as a house right now. Yeah. He is awakening us. So if you feel like slowly but surely. Someone said to me last week. And I loved it. It was a great compliment. One of the, uh, the young guys. Well let's say young guys. He's 1921. He says to me. Pastor Tony. He's from Romania. He says Pastor Tony. Why is it? Why is it? He says to me. Every time you talk to me, I feel I have to change. I said, because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He goes, man, I've never had to change under anyone's ministry like I have to change under yours. This is great to hear a young lad say this. I said, well, are you making the change? He said, I have to. I have to, I've got no choice. I said, you've always got a choice. He said, but then I stand in front of you, and then I think I'm doing well, and then you go and take me to another level. I think brilliant. There's a generation out there who want to be change. Yeah. So the next word we see out of this under the apple tree, we see the word conceive. We've seen arouse. Now we see the word conceive. To become pregnant. To cause a baby to begin to form. To imagine something. To invent, plan, an idea. This is what this word conceive means. To be pregnant. You know, she's conceived. Or to cause a baby to begin to form. Or it can mean to imagine. To imagine something. To invent a plan or an idea. I don't know about you, but in my Christianity, I want to get pregnant. I'm I'm not talking about physically. You know, I can't give birth to a baby. I can't do that. But spiritually... I want to conceive. I want to imagine. I want to plan. I want God to plant. Yes. I don't just want to. If I thought the rest of my life was just coming to church. Do you know what? God, take me home now. Give me a vision. Give me a plan. Let me conceive what you see. What you feel. What you carry. I want to carry what you carry. God wants you to be pregnant. He wants you to conceive. Now the problem is with Christianity, you get born again, and you think you've received everything that's ever there is to be received. Now in one sense you have. Because what I call the Calvary software package, that's when God gave you everything, the full inheritance, I call it the, CP, uh, the Calvary uh, CSP, sorry. everything for life and godliness was given to you, but you've got to discover it. And God wants you to discover what is already given to you. And when you discover what God's given to you, you conceive. When you discover what you did not know, life takes a form on the inside. Ah, wow. Now you can plan differently. Now you can imagine more colourfully. Now because you've got just a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of insight a little bit of wisdom it changes your world yeah. it gives you options you never thought you had it really does it really changes but you've got to conceive afresh so in the pursuing of god in this season god is going to first of all wake wake you up yeah. secondly The whole purpose of him coming to you is so that you can conceive again. What you thought was dead, God's going to resurrect. And what you thought you never had or could never do, God's going to plant seeds inside of you that's going to give you imagination. And from that imagination, you're going to plan, and you're going to plant seeds of your own. Because with the seed that God gives you, you then plant and then you water. Are you with me? He's seeing this. So you must get ready in this pursuit to receive fresh seed. You're going to conceive, ladies, gentlemen. You're going to conceive. Well, I can't. I'm I'm a geezer. I'm not talking about physical conception. I'm talking about supernatural, divine, sovereign conception. Did Mary have sex before she had the first child? No. No. Right. So we know that God can do something far above that you can even measure or understand. Yes? Now, did she have sex for the second child? Of course she did. Because the second child wasn't the same as the first. So God can overshadow us. And it's in that pursuit of God that God begins to touch your heart, touch your mind... And fresh seeds begin to be deposited in our hearts. Yeah. And then that means you, because God does not want you to run to the end of your life never having a dream, yeah. never having a vision, not seeing fulfillment, having no adventure. Yes. Some of you, seriously, you've got to get some adventure in your life. Yeah. Going to work is not adventure. For some of you, it might be. And that's fine if it is. If you enjoy your job and it gives you a lot out of it, great, great, great. For some of us, we know work does not give us that sense of adventure. So, it's conceived to become pregnant. And then the final part I've been in the garden, so we see arouse, we see conceive. The next thing is birth. God does not, you do not conceive. Without the end result being in mind. God starts with the end in mind. God wants to see fresh birth. God wants to see you birth something fresh. A fresh move of God in your life. So God has to come to you to wake you up, get your attention, show you where your life can be. Can be so much better if you allow him to get involved. He comes, that's the mercy of God to come to us. Then he gives us, through the, through the, the relationship interaction, he, you then conceive. Yeah. But you don't conceive, you never conceive without the end in mind. Yeah. Right. <coughs> Every woman who gets pregnant expects a delivery. Yeah. True? Yeah. So we must begin, God begins with the end in mind. When was the last time? Now let's say it's like I'm asking you a question not to answer me. The question God would have you answer this morning, when was the last time something new was birthed in you? An idea, imagination, a concept. When was the last time something new came to birth in your life? When was the last time you felt that you were carrying seeds? You felt pregnant with what God was... You know, I feel pregnant with the school that we're trying, to, we're trying to create. But you know, I'm having some kicking pains. And I'm feeling... Now, some of that's my own fault and some of it isn't my fault. But the, the issue is, this school will be birthed. But right now, it's a troubled pregnancy. She, she could tell you about this. But at some point, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to... God's got to keep scanning my heart... Every so many weeks to see, everything's okay. Because, because we've got to check the health of this thing. We've got to check the health of this thing. Is this baby turning? Is, this, is it going to be a breech birth? Is, is it not going to be a breech birth? Is it, are we going to have to open a sunroof? Am I going to get it out some way, Tony? Or is it going to be a water-breaking ceremony? At some point, I must expect delivery. I can't keep planning and planning and planning and planning and planning that one day God will just come through. No, 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 friends. It's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. You must carry. You must push. Yeah. This lady will tell you the value of pushing. Yeah. Now, for those ladies who just go, you know, it's coming. It'll come on its own time. Boosh, it's gear. That's great. But that's not every baby what comes out. It comes out with travailing. It comes out with pain. It comes out with, with someone coaching you. Yeah. Come on, push! Not you, sorry. Well, you're up there, didn't you? <laughs> frightened her. You've got have someone at the side coaching you. Come on, push, push! Oh, I'm a little bit tired. Push! Yeah. Don't give up now. I can see his head. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the last time you saw her head? The head of your vision, the head of your plan, the head of your imagination. When was the last time you saw an early sign of something? Life breaking forth. You need a coach at the side of you. Someone to keep saying, come on, you're doing great. Keep pushing, you're on the right track. Someone keeps speaking tender words to you. How do you go, Mel? Do you really go for it? I bet you do, I bet you're really wicked, aren't you? (laughs) She's a midwife in case you didn't know. Right, a good cop and a bad cop. Right, you got one, me and Phil. <coughs> I'll let you work out which is the good and the bad. Paul can be the ugly then. <laughs> no, you do. You, you, that's good. That's, that's good. Good and bad. Someone tell, say, no, you no, oh, he's never going to make it. Oh, I think you can make it. No, you're useless. <laughs> you know, people in the world will tell you you're useless. Yes. But you're not useless. No. So the point is this, is... If you don't find that apple tree, God cannot wake you up. God cannot put new life in you, and you cannot conceive, and you can never bring to birth. My friend, this is your Christianity. You receive, you conceive. From you conceive, you realize you've received. Yes? And if you don't, listen, from conception, you say, from, from you receiving, Oh, I'll get the other way around. From conception, you understand that you've received something. When you don't take interest in what you've received, you become deceived. I've got nothing. There's nothing in me. Everyone else has got all the seeds. Everyone else has got the gift. It's a lie. It's not true. Peter tells us in the scripture that you've received everything for life and godliness. It's your job to go and find out what you've received. What's been given. Amen. If God does not get involved, you're finished. You'll finish your life unfulfilled. But God wants to get involved. That's the whole point. So God wants to birth in you something new. Yeah. Say, say to yourself, God wants to birth in me something new. Now work backwards. Now I need to be. I need to conceive, Lord. I need to be pregnant, Lord. Okay, you need to wake me up, Lord. Lord, to wake me up, Lord, I need the apple tree. The apple tree is the presence to find that place where you dialogue with God, in his presence. In that such a small place, in that one verse, I see my life. I see a place. God's trying to give us a place where he can speak to us. And when he speaks to us, God deposits something. From God speaking, he he awakens. From him awakening... He imparts seed, life. So that from that life, he expects to see something birthed. God expects you to birth something in your life. Yeah. It's not enough just to stay a Christian. Well, I've got everything now. Yes, but what are you going to do with everything? Yeah. It's not everything. It's what you're going to do with something. Yeah. So, God wants to birth something new inside of your heart. How many would agree? And in the very heart of this fellowship, yes. God wants to birth something in the very heart of this fellowship, but He must do it with us as individuals and He must do it with us corporately. Yeah. True? Yeah. God wants you and us to conceive. Listen, these are the key words. God, to conceive, you need to capture. Yeah. To capture, you must lay hold. Yeah. Capture. Lay hold. Reach out. Reach out for something. If you reach out for something, you'll capture a hold of something. But you must reach out for something. True? Why do you think we raise our hands in the air? It's just, it's just, it's just symbolic of us reaching out for God. Yeah? And also, it's, it's symbolic of our hearts being wide open and saying, Lord, we're reaching out for you. We love you this morning. We're lifting you up. My hands... In one sense, don't do anything. But in another sense, it's, it's just a reflection of my heart being open. I'm reaching out to God. We must reach out in order to capture and lay hold of what God's got for us. True? In order to conceive, you must first receive something new. In order to conceive, you must receive something new. And that's something new has to be watered. That's where the responsibility comes in into our lives. There must be responsibility with your Christianity. Because if there's no responsibility, then guess what? Nothing will ever change. God is a responsible God. Now here's the next thing about when you receive. And again, Mel could tell us a lot more about this. When you conceive and you are aware that you conceive, you must learn to carry and care for what you carry. You must learn to carry and care for what you have conceived because your lifestyle can seriously affect what you carry. You must learn to carry and care for what you've received. Because to whom much is given, much will be expected. Now the thing is, we don't always realize that word called much. And we then rephrase that word and we call it something. Something can be ambiguous. No definition. So we have to give something a language. We have to, I must know what I've received. I may not see it fully but I must have some kind of sense of what I'm receiving. Because this helps me to take care of it, carry it, care for it, and water it. We've got to feed and water and care for what we carry. Then, God brings you into the new things. What is planned for you? And then you find the right time and the right season. When you care and carry and water what God has given you, God brings you into the right season and God brings you into the right things for your life. I don't know about you, but I need a season. And I'm believing that God will bring a season to this house. I'm not looking for you just on your own to have a great time. I'm looking for us. I'm working for the us, not for you. The us is important. And if we all come into something corporately together, then God births a new move right in front of our eyes. And I'm believing the seeds that you capture and lay hold of will be very similar. <coughs> because then you have corporate strength pushing in the right area. Yes? This is, the, this is the whole idea. Corporately together, God can do more when God's putting the same things in all our hearts. Yes, there'll be individual things that you, you're looking for, yes. But predominantly, God needs to mobilize us as one house. And the only way he mobilizes is by putting the same things in our hearts. Yes. True? Yes. So Paul realized, the Apostle Paul realized in his own life that he had to be roused. God had to wake Paul up. Because Paul was doing his own thing, going his own way. Paul was as religious as Isis. When you read Paul's life, the early part of Paul's life, this greatest apostle that we now read, prior to him becoming saved, he was like Isis. He was persecuting, killing Christian believers because he believed that what they were doing and the message they carried was a threat to Judaism. It was, a, it, it was heretic. So God had to divinely come and wake Paul up. And that's why when you see evidence of this, it's Paul, Paul, who are you persecuting? Why are you persecuting me, he says. Straight away, God puts the finger to Paul and opens his eyes and shows him that the very person he's trying to protect is actually persecuting. So God awoke him up, and when he woke him up, he said, go to Straight Street, and there I will show you what you must do, God planted seeds in his heart, so when the scales were taken from his eyes, Paul was pregnant, and all Paul's movements from that day on was led to him birthing the New Testament church, every action then was dictated by what he received on that Damascus road. So God roused him, woke him up, planted a seed in him, and Paul birthed a great move of God. Not only Paul, others as well. That can happen to us. In fact, it will happen to us. Paul declared this. So much so had this seed taken over him. This is what he declared. Now you can't declare this unless... God has laid hold of you and you have laid hold of God. He says in Philippians 3 verse 10. I want to know Christ. Now he already knew Christ. But he wants to know him deeper. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he says this. And the fellowship of his sufferings. When was the last time you prayed for suffering? So I could identify with Christ. Becoming like him in his death. Well he did. And somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You and I don't pray these prayers because we didn't capture what he captured. And that's okay because that was his calling. Well, not all of us are called to be apostles. Some. And those that some, God knows who those some are. And they will, if the true apostolic, they'll go through his suffering. Because raising Sons and daughters, for God, is a painful job. So let me ask you that question I've been asking you. I never seem to get to this question. Every time I keep preaching, we're going to just hit it for a second. How well do you really know the one you love and claim to know? If we're going to pursue and be awoken awoken up afresh, I need to know the current state of my relationship. I can be honest. And I look in that mirror and I look at myself, I have to ask myself, Tony, how well do you really know God? You tell people you love him. You tell people you know him. You tell people you serve him. So, okay, how well do you really, really know God? Now, that answer is not easy to quantify in a couple of sentences. But I must know. Remember what I kept saying to us. It's not knowing about him, it's knowing him that we must know about him but there is knowing him personally I know I know my wife personally I know about my wife but I know the woman yes. all about is secondary it's not primary I know the woman so the woman's relationship with me and mine with her helps me to then articulate what I know about her Does that make sense So you must know God It's not enough for you to talk about God. How well do you know him? This is the start of our pursuit for God. Because if I can be honest with myself, I say, well, actually, God, I know more about you than I do you. I need to reverse that. I need to know you. Paul says, I want to know you. Why would an apostle say, I want to know you, if he's been serving you for the last 30, 40 years of his life? Paul realized there was depths. There was, there was so much more of God that if I served him for a thousand generations, I still need to know him more. Because God is unlimitless. If he can say I want to know him more, how much more should we say that? So how well do I really know it? Answering, asking and answering this question reveals the true level of your love and relationship with God. You know, Moses knew God's ways. But the children of Israel... All they ever knew about God was his acts. And they complained about his acts. But if you knew God, you know why God does what he does. But if you don't know God, you'll only ever complain about how he does things. And what he does. But Moses knew him. Because time after time, God would call Moses aside. And when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, God knew everything about Moses. But Moses didn't know everything about God. When you understand the why God does things, the what is a lot easier. Why leads to understanding. What leads to judgment. Look what you've done. They need putting away for what they've done. They need to go down forever for what they've done. And then later on we send the psychologist into the prison to find out why. So we can now learn and get understanding. But the courts work on the what. So when we look at one another and say, look at her, look at him, look at what they've done, da, da, da. That's not good. If I look at God, what's the question the world is asking? God, if there is a God in this world, then why does he let us do it? Why does he let all these things? What, what, what God would let a baby die? And these are powerful questions. But if you knew God, you knew that you want freedom But you want God to invade somebody else's freedom because you don't like what they did. But he can't have freedom into your life, but he can go over to their life. God doesn't work like that. If you knew God, you you know why he does half the stuff he does. God will give. God will have his say. But every man's got freedom. That is one of the things about God. He gave every man free will. But when we see someone doing something we don't like, we now expect God to overrule free will. Doesn't do it like that. You don't appreciate if I overruled your free will. So how much more should God do that? Get a life. So what do you actually know about the one you claim to know? Hey. Here's what I know. Can I tell you what I know? Very quickly. I know that God and Jesus Christ are the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. I know that. They don't shift or they don't drift in their mood or their personality. This gives me great confidence. Why? Because I know God's not got a cob on today. I need to be able to approach a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That gives me great courage that god's not i'm going to think it's not like you know when you when your kids say and you've not been in all week how's dad today is he alright can i ask him for some money well he's a bit of a mood don't ask him today's not a good day can you imagine having a relationship with a father god like that and he's in a mood no i need in my relationship i need that trinity to be emotionally stable emotionally stable I don't, when I'm telling God some stuff, I don't want God to be shocked. I don't want God to be freaked. And I don't want God to turn and say, I can't can't talk to him today. can't talk to him. I don't want Jesus saying, you know, you've hurt me, Father. He's not talking to you. No, no, no. I need stability up there. Emotional stability is everything. The same. What is it? The same. For how long? Yesterday. Today. And forevermore. He doesn't have a cob on. That's what I know about God. And that's what you need to know about God. I know that God cannot. Cannot. Yeah, there's something God can't do. He can't lie. God cannot lie. So not only is he emotionally stable. He'll tell me the truth. I need a relationship where someone will always tell me the truth. I don't need my feelings pampering. I need God tell me like it is. Why? Because if you don't, I'm only deceiving myself. I know God will always tell me the truth. And he won't lie. You and I will dress things up. You might say, well, it's not." I'm not telling you a lie. I'm just finding a different way to tell a lie. It's the same thing. True? I'll tell you what else I know. God will never change his mind. Kids love doing that. If I ask mum, if I can manipulate mum or dad, or I can drive a wedge between the two of them, I can say, mum said. Jesus is not mum and God is not dad. So if I pray to Jesus, ask your dad. Is it all right if we, we do this? And Jesus, well, I'll get back to you. Dad's not in a good mood today. I'll talk to him. Dad, you know, come on, don't be too hard on the kids. Doesn't work like that. You need to know. But you know what? Knowing these things will stop you being immature and stop you approaching Him wrongly. I know that God won't change His mind. He's steadfast in His patterns, in His principles, and His protocols. Patterns, principles, protocols. God works by those three things. I'll tell you what else I know that what God speaks, it doesn't return empty. What God speaks does not return empty. You know, for every prophecy that God spoke, though you don't, might not see it in your lifetime, if it was of God, it will be fulfilled. That gives me great hope. I know that there's some things I pray for that has a future content, context. When we're praying about generations, I might not see everything. When I'm praying about vision for the church, I may not see all the vision fulfilled but if I didn't carry my part and I didn't preach my part and I didn't act my part, then the prophecy would never be fulfilled. So I know that prophecy will be fulfilled in the great consummation of time. I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to carry the prophetic word that's been released and spoken to you. Yes? And I I have to execute that word To the best of my ability. But there's always a word beyond me. True? But God is watching to see. And here's the key thing. God is watching to see that if his word in you can be brought to fulfillment. That's a key thing. Now, he didn't say hearing it. He said doing it. I know. Here's another thing. Because I'm a mature man. I like to think in terms of maturity, what I know about God. These are the things that just help me in my relationship with God. I don't need to know, seriously, now hear what I'm saying now. I never ask God, does he love me? It's not something I lack. I know he loves me. So in my prayer time, I'm not trying to convince myself, does he love me today? That is an unstable emotional thinking pattern. Which will be based on how I feel. It's not based on the truth. I feel loved today, so therefore I feel loved. If I don't feel loved today, does that mean I'm not loved? No. I have to go on what he said. Not what I feel. Now in other areas, I get blown off course like you. And I have to bring myself back online based on what I know. And the one I know. Because my emotions, just like yours, can cause me to drift I know that you can't play games with the Trinity. You can't play one off against the other. Satan tried to do that in the Garden of Eden. Did God say? Surely. I don't believe that'll happen if you do that. If you eat the fruit, no, that won't happen. And he divided a wedge. You've got to know what God says. You've got to know who God is. You've got to know God. I know that when I walk away from God, and here's the thing, listen to this. This is a maturity thought again. I know that when I walk away from God, irrespective of how long it is, when I come back to God, he's going to continue the same conversation he had with me when we left. That's God. You think, I've been away from his city, he's forgot all about it. (laughs) God doesn't lose his mind. Right, So at some point, we're going to have to have that conversation. It's great, Tony. I've got eternity. Yep. You haven't, son. But when we come back, we will be having that conversation. Your father does not forget. So you come back. When you come back, it's like the Kevin and Perry sketch all over again. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Can we have that conversation? Okay, okay. Was you wrong? Yeah, I was. Let me hear you say it. Sorry, son, Sorry, dad. God never forgets. Why? Because at the point, the, the moment of disconnection has to be fixed. It's not that he can't look, overlook it and forgive you. It's, that's not the issue. He wants you to see and learn from it. You do. You have to recognize it. These are maturity thoughts. I love that idea. God can just put Pause. Hit the pause button for 60 years of my life. But when he texted off, son, ha ha, you thought I forgot. Oh Lord, you, think, you remember all those years? I'm not in time, son, you are. You know what else I know? I know that my relationship with God and his relationship with me is built upon expectation. I know that my relationship with God and his relationship with me Is built on expectation. When I got married to Carol, she has every right to have expectations of me. And if I don't hold my end of the bargain up, I'm in trouble. Why would I expect our marriage to be run like clockwork if I don't hold my end of the bargain? Now you've got to get that defined. One of the beautiful things about Nisa and Anna being married. Phil said to me, are you taking part in a service? No, I said, I've had more part in that kid's life. I say kid because he's a lot younger than me. That boy's young man's life than any wedding service could ever do. I prepared him for 10 weeks. As a pastor, I've ministered into him. We've helped raise that lad. So I've had a lot of input in it. I don't need involvement in a service. His life's more important. It's a great joy when you see Expectations installed and understood. He's going to have to. His dad reminded him yesterday in his speech. The pastor reminded him in his speech. I reminded him for 10 weeks. You think the boy can run away from expectation? No. We've all clobbered him from every area. And he'll continue to do it. Why? Because he's raising a son. Or they're raising a son. And now a daughter. So expectation, is it fair is it fair of God to have expectation of you? Yes. Absolutely. But you and I don't like it when he holds us to it. God expects me to obey his word. And here's the other thing here's the interesting thing about your expectation. You expect God to fulfil his word and all his promises he made to you. So God says, Let's have a deal going on here, son. I'll hold my half of a bargain up if you hold yours. Oh, that's not fair, you're God. Well, if, if I'm God in you, then it's possible. Last one, then we're out of here. I know that he expects me to love, forgive, and to serve others, and for me to consider others better than myself. Hey. That's a tough one. But I know he expects me. Mm -hmm. To love others. Love myself. Love others. Forgive myself. Forgive others. Mm -hmm. Consider myself, but consider others more important than myself. That is a very high price for our Christianity. Now, if God... If the God who expects that in me, he must do something in me to help me come to that level. But guess what? He is working day and night to bring us to that very place. He is finding every way possible to speak to you and me. Every way possible. I love that about God. That God says, Tony, you're never going to, if you've got a heart that is open to me, You'll never have to struggle hearing me. I'll find ways. I'll get the trees to speak. I'll get animals to speak. I'll get clouds. I'll get creation to speak. I'll find some way of getting your attention so that you can know my intentions towards you. How cool is that? So you've never got any excuse as to, know, as to why you can't know him. So... Here we go, as we stand to our feet. If you can stand to your feet, please, i appreciate it. We are going to the place called Apple Tree. You hear me? And in the Apple Tree, God is going to rouse you. Everyone say rouse, I need rousing, Lord. So you find your Apple Tree. I'm not physically talking, go and plant an Apple Tree in your garden. I'm not talking about going under next door's garden. If they've got an apple tree and say, my pastor told me to stand under this apple tree. I'm not saying that. Your apple tree is a place, symbolic of a place. Find your place with God. That you can have a regular dialogue with God. Right? A private place. A place where God can speak to you. And no interruptions. Whether you've got to go find your little room underneath the stairs and close the door. Find it. Secondly, Pray, God, wake me up to what you know, to what you see. Show me in my life the areas where I am asleep and I am dead. There's areas of where I'm dead. I'm numb. I'm, I'm numb. I was going to say dumb. That's not the right word. Numb. I have no emotions. God needs to open up and show us where you're dead and you need wakening up. From that point then, God, I want to conceive. When I conceive, I know that birth is imminent. It's only a matter of time away. Don't conceive without expecting birth. And be prepared to be taken on that journey. Do I make that clear now, church? Can I, can I, I'm explaining to you where the next months are for us as a people. I'm going to come at this with every bit of energy God's given me. We are coming at you every way but loose. There'll be some meetings where God wakes us. There'll be other times in impartation where God now says right now, sow the seed tonight. And there'll be other times when we'll do the coaching and we'll help that birth come out. Amen? So everybody know where we're going as a church? Does everybody know where we're going? This word will be sent out to you. It's on podcast. We'll send it out on email. Why? Because I want the whole house to know and hear where we are going. It's time for this house to change. And that, when we say the house change, it means you and me. So Father, let's raise our hands if we will. Father, have your way in me. Let your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Let it be so on the earth. Lord, I'm ready to be awoken. I'm ready to conceive. I'm ready to birth. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to understand. I'm ready to consider things. Let go of things. Give things away. What have been holding me back. Come on, just ask the Lord. Bring yourself before the Lord. That's all I can ask you to do this morning. Just bring yourself before the Lord. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Shiri baba bakarianda. Matara baba baba siriende. Shotorobo satara baba bakarianda. Shiri andara mama sariada baba koriandorobo shiriende. de anda. Oh my God, my God. Write some things down this week that you know. Ask yourself some mature questions. What do you know about yourself? Where are you weak? Write them down so you can know. That you know, Lord, I need awakening in that area. Write the areas down, those weak areas in your life. Write them so you can see them. Don't, don't con yourself. Write them down, your weak areas, your strong areas. And say, Lord, I need to know you in the weak areas. And in the strong areas, I need to know you even greater. Don't think as a strong, they don't need to be uh, managed. They do. Your strong areas need to become even stronger. Your weak areas need to become strong. And that's where you say, God, wake me in that area. That's my place to start. Please write it down this week. You're going to do yourself a lot of favours if you do. And if you're married, this, if you're married, uh, why don't you share it with one another? Share it, but confess it to your husband or your wife. If you're not married... Get a good person, you know, and say, look, I want to be accountable. I want to share this with These are my weaknesses. Will, will you help me? Obviously, if they're not too private, when I say private, this, use discretion. What you share with other people. <clears throat> I didn't say your sins. I said your weaknesses. Sort your own sins out first. Father, I ask you, Lord, to rise above us. We bring the church, oh God, your church before you. And we submit ourselves and surrender our lives, oh God, under the living God. And we say, Father, divinely intervene. Bring us under the apple tree, Lord. Bring us under the apple tree. So we can start a whole new journey with you. We pray for the move of God. We pray for the move of God in our lives. We ask you now, in Jesus' name... Work with our lives, oh God. And all God's people said, Amen.